As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you discover innovative ways to improve nutrition in aquaculture and contribute toward improved, healthier, and environmentally sustainable and economically viable farm seafood? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to episodes one and two, season three, we discussed what is not going to change in this decade in the industry and how to solve the regulatory challenges from the amalgamation of minds of our season two guests. Welcome to episode three, season three of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, I'm delighted to interview Stephanie Colombo, who is an associate professor and Canada research chair in aquaculture and nutrition of Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you, Lourdes. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so delighted that we have some professors and scientists for this episodes. And so maybe you can give us a background. How did you get into the industry? Okay, sure. So growing up, I was always really interested and passionate about the ocean. And I was really interested in ocean conservation. I did an undergraduate degree in marine and freshwater biology at the University of Guelph. And I didn't really know what aquaculture was until my last year. And we took a field trip to New Brunswick and we saw a salmon farm. And I was like, oh, this seems really interesting and innovative. And then after I graduated, I saw that there were a lot of jobs in aquaculture looking for aquaculture technicians with a background in the skills that I had. I knew how to rear fish and I had this background in marine biology and fish biology, especially. So I thought, oh, this could be a really interesting opportunity. So I accepted this job at a halibut farm in Nova Scotia. Never have gone to the East Coast at all before in my life. And I loved working there. I loved the job. I thought it was very interesting. We did a lot of experiments with the National Research Council because the company was really interested in innovation and improving their knowledge on halibut. So that was where I was working on some of the experiments in collaboration with the NRC. And so I at that point realized, oh, I really like doing scientific research. I'm really passionate about 
aquaculture. It's a mix of ocean conservation because we're growing fish for seafood for human consumption, but we're also allowing wild fisheries to replenish again without harvesting too much. So I really like that aspect of aquaculture. So I did my master's at Dalhousie and I was focused on nutrition, halibut nutrition, actually. And so I wanted to continue doing research. I did a PhD at Memorial University of Newfoundland. And I was also focused on nutrition, looking at nutrition for Atlantic salmon and rainbow trout, Atlantic cod. And we were really looking at improving the diet, improving the sustainability of the diet, because for carnivorous species like salmon, typically the diet was composed of fish meal and fish oil harvested from wild fisheries. And this kind of went against what I was thinking about aquaculture is contributing to ocean conservation because we're not using wild fish. But if we're using wild fish in the feed, it doesn't make a lot of sense from a sustainability perspective. So we're in that project, I was working on replacing fish meal and fish oil with a different type of oil from a plant called camelina, so that there was no fish oil used in the diet at all. So I finished my PhD and then I continued on to do a postdoctoral fellowship at Ryerson University. And I was really focused on fatty acid production, fatty acid synthesis, especially omega-3s in aquatic environments. And then I came here in 2017 at Dalhousie, and I've been here ever since. That's such an interesting story. And I know I read your LinkedIn profile that you also dive, so that really helps, I guess. (laughs) I'm an avid diver. I've been diving since I was about 11 years old. I've got to dive in different places around the world from coast to coast in Canada to Mexico, Hawaii, Philippines. Yeah, so I've been really fortunate that way to be able to take my passion around the world. (laughs) That's one skill set that I wish I have to be able to dive, but diving and me just not together. (laughs) (laughs) It's not for everyone, but it's also never too late. So if you mind. (laughs) So my second question is, what's one thing you can share with a business aquaculturist that can make a big difference in their organization? Wow, that's a big question because I'm not necessarily involved in the business. I'm an academic and we do research. And so what a business is able to do is different than what I'm able to do. I think in terms of what they're able to do, they can do things very quickly, (laughs) they can make very quick decisions and and there's an advantage to being able to do that. But I think having a focus on sustainability, long-term goals, thinking about resiliency in the industry, in nutrition specifically in the feed, we're seeing kind of an evolution from feeds that are primarily made from fish meal and fish oil to evolving into a more plant-based feed. And now that's evolving even further now into feeds that are including new ingredients like microalgae and black soldier flies. And these are kind of the next generation of ingredients that are even more sustainable because they can be byproducts of other industries or more into reusing and recycling, which I think is amazing. So it's all about being resilient in the future. And it's all about being sustainable so that we have nutritious seafood for years to come. 
I really like that. And I know you're from the academy background, but we've worked, I think industry and academy needs to work together to have all these sustainable partnerships. And I like what you mentioned, I especially like when you talked about future resiliency because sustainability is about that to make that lasting and one of the things that i always like coming from the far east originally is how especially i guess japan and china introduced the concept of having a hundred year plan a 300 year plan we have to think about that long-term goals that you mentioned i think will be going to the right direction It's so true. And we're faced with a lot of challenges. We're faced with climate change. We're faced with warming waters. We're faced with ocean acidification. We're faced with pandemics. So the more things we can do or the more tools we have to be able to protect our own livelihood within the industry, but also protecting production of our food and being able to be food secure in the future is really important. That's great. And so my next question is, share with us what's your biggest insights in the, I don't know, last two decades you've been in this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So much has changed. And that was one of the reasons why I was so interested in aquaculture is because it seemed like it was always on the cusp of something new. There's always a new technology. And I find that the industry is really receptive and interested and aware of how new technologies can be used to improve the industry. Like look at all of the artificial intelligence that's used now. That can help the producers make their lives easier. That can help fish welfare. That can help the environment. And I think that the industry welcomes this kind of changes with open arms. And I really like the industry's adaptability that I've seen over the years, like adapting to these changes and receptive to these changes. I think that is really, really awesome. I like to see how quickly things evolve in the industry, even just what I was talking about before, the composition of the feed in the last 20 years has changed a lot. And yes, that's due to scientific research, because we're always trying to look for new ingredients that can help make the fish healthier or grow faster. But it's also the industry, again, with their receptiveness and their ability to adapt to new things. And I guess that is really what has fascinated me most about the industry is the innovation. I think it is one of the most innovative industries, especially in terms of agriculture. I think it's really interesting to me. That's fascinating, the insight that you shared, because yesterday I was researching the metaverse and even Facebook, (laughs) who has gotten a little bit late into the conversation of the metaverse, has got me into thinking about the Internet of Things in the aquaculture industry, which is another discussion. But you're talking about adaptability and uh, receptive to changes. I think Mother Nature has kind of trained us this way in our industry. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, Because in terms of thinking of other livestock, aquaculture is kind of newer, right? Compared to we've been farming cattle for so many years and so long. And aquaculture is unique because we're raising these animals in water. It's completely different. So we're faced with a different set of challenges. But at the same time, we can also learn from what they've already evolved in another industry that also raises animals. So we can learn some of the genomics tools. We can learn from some of the breeding tools that they've already used and and adapted to us. So we've been able to kind of springboard on some of these other 
industries because we're new and evolving, but we can also take advantage of what their knowledge is. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. My biggest takeaway from our conversation is when you were talking about byproducts, of course, reusing and recycling in terms of sustainability, but most importantly, focusing on being future resilient. I really like those words. So thank you again for being on the show, Stephanie. How can they get in touch with you? Thank you so much. You can email me at scolombo at dal.ca or you can check out our lab's website at aquaculturenutrition.com. Thank you very much. To our subscribers, we appreciate your time listening to the show. Our next guest is RJ Taylor, who owns Cedar Crest Trout Farms. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. And know that by listening to the show, you contribute to build a home in the Philippines via B1G1.com. Bye, everyone. Thanks again, Stephanie. Thanks. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.